Hello and welcome to the Body Track Academy, created by EPs for EPs. We'll cover all things clinical, business and personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential. If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists, and access more great content. Hello, associates, and welcome to another episode of the Body Track Academy podcast. I am sitting down today with Georgia. Now, as a pre warning, Georgia has sort of lost her voice and it is recovering, so <laughs> I actually think it's fit for a podcast don't mind me saying that Georgia um, but yes if you hear a bit of a husky voice it, it, she is fine uh, but will be a little bit on the huskier side <laughs> um, but today Georgia welcome uh, we are going to talk about a particular case study so yes first how are you yes. doing today I'm very well thank you wonderful uh, so let's get straight into it. Let's talk about this case study that you, um, you've been working with for some time now, mm-hmm. um, but we had a bit of a flare-up of, of an injury. So let's get back to, to the basics. Let's go through a bit of a medical history about, yeah. your, about your case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he is a 42-year-old male, largely apparently healthy history, I suppose. Um, played quite a lot of rugby back in the day, has been relatively active throughout his life since then. Um, which is awesome. So has had a small history of back pain in the past, largely related to, I guess, heavy volume, heavy load throughout his rugby career, I suppose. And as a result of that, has had minor flare-ups. But about four to five months ago, he was completing a deadlift um, and had a relatively acute onset of low back pain. Um, During this time, he had been recently unwell, had had a pretty high stress period of his life okay um and it was a little bit of i guess perfect storm of of everything in that context yeah um from there went to physio um we work quite closely with our physios upstairs which is fantastic um he did an assessment with the physio um who was not overly concerned thought it was probably disc related Mm. um and kind of yeah sent him back back to us from there Great. So was there a history of any disc issues when you first started seeing? Because I know this happened um, like after a period of time that you'd already seen this gentleman um, and then it was, as you said, acute onset after completing a deadlift. So was there any like history when you very first saw him of disc issues um, initially? Is that what he initially came for or was it more of a holistic program? More of a holistic program. Yeah. It was um, was kind of well managed already. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. so I think from, from from this as well, it is important to highlight that this can happen to to anyone, regardless of disc issues as well. Yeah. Um, we probably have seen it um, uh, not infrequently, but uh, it, it has happened. And um, I think there's some good uh, other podcasts and theories out there from um, ones that I know I've listened to where that incident can actually happen regardless of the load of a lift it could yeah. actually happen from even just spinal flexion and exactly. picking up yeah. something like a feather off the floor I've heard <laughs> yeah. as well so yeah. um, which does tuck into a lot of the kind of what you alluded to the perfect storm where there probably wasn't um, ideal health for him in that session or or you know quite a lot of stress and load and that can have an impact obviously on the body which is quite interesting to to um, 
to go into. Probably a separate podcast though, because <laughs> yes. um, that can unravel and go quite into a oh, lot yeah. of the chronic pain cycle. Um, yeah. And if you are not familiar with any chronic pain, or you wanted to have a bit of a touch up and um, on chronic pain and what how we see it and what we use it is there there is a podcast um probably i think it's episode i think it was one of the first episodes yeah. that's an oldie but a goodie um and we kind of simplify it uh, and explain just basically what chronic pain is but sorry slightly off track we'll get mm-hmm. back on um so yes so uh acute onset of lower back pain mm-hmm. uh and then came back to uh, see you after the physio and continue the yep. exercise program yeah um Let's start with firstly, was there anything particular that the physio advised or anything that they, they ran in terms of testing that they said maybe, you know, avoid this movement or focus on this? Honestly, not. There wasn't a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of just looked at it from the approach of, um, I guess, being guided by pain in the sense of um, he had a bit of a flexion intolerance, had pain with spinal flexion. Okay. Um, but other than that, um, there weren't any specific guidelines. He was running at the time, so we reduced impact loading for that period while he was in acute pain. Yep. Um, but other than that, he was quite happy for us to sort of progress okay. under those guidelines. Yeah. Perfect. So first session back, seeing, uh, I think maybe another practitioner, but when they, yeah. when they first came back to see to see yourself, yeah. um, with the back pain still present, what kind of mm-hmm. things did you uh, run through or? subjectively and objectively, um, if you want to give a bit of a rundown to our listeners. Yeah, definitely. So um, initially we sat down and I just wanted to get a really good idea of what his experience had been, both during the session and I suppose in the following couple of days in terms of how he was feeling, not just from a pain point of view, but also just from a general, I suppose, mental health point of view, because we have quite a good relationship. I've been seeing him for quite a while now and I could tell that he just wasn't quite um, himself and so that was probably actually the first thing I flagged um, so we had a really good chat about that and he was feeling pretty frustrated because he had been lifting pretty heavy weights and was quite happy with where he'd been um, and we were actually building up to a testing block so I think he was feeling quite frustrated that we were now kind of unable to do that mm. just, um, just on that too yeah. how do you how did you navigate that kind of conversation because that that I've, mm. I do see happen quite a lot is yeah probably a, more in a load mismanagement issue and then you know we're building up to a testing block or yeah. a goal and then a kind of a, a, a speed bump hits them and yeah. <laughs> derails them a little bit yeah. how do you manage that that conversation um i feel like the biggest thing is validating what they're feeling in yeah. the sense that um that it's perfectly reasonable to be frustrated and you should be frustrated because this is something that i suppose wasn't part of our plan but mm. we're acknowledging that it's happened and that um, what our goal is now is to recenter ourselves and sort of look at what today, how we're feeling today, make a plan on what ideally we want to see improve from here, but also acknowledge that this is part of, I suppose, life. Like yeah. <laughs> things like this do happen, and you're allowed to feel upset about it. Um, but then I suppose reframing that to, okay, where do we go from here? What can my role be in supporting you? Um, and yeah, I think okay. that's probably the biggest thing yeah. that I think about. Perfect. Yeah, I really do um, want that validation um, uh, because I think that's a job that we do quite well as EPs in, the, in societies. We we do validate anyone's feelings and it is all, of course, real. Pain is always real exactly. and you've yes. got to validate. Um, and then, of course, setting some realistic expectations from that yeah, too. Definitely. So 
um, going from that, you would have gone into, I guess, some objective testing, yes. maybe some um, some specific tests around the, the lumbar spine. Yeah. Uh, I noticed you said before flexion was probably the pain-provoking mm-hmm. movement. Is there anything else in terms of uh, special tests that you did, or do you just want to just run us through what you remember that you did in terms of some um, movement capacity assessments? Yeah, definitely. So, um, as you said, we have a pretty good look, I guess, at lumbar pelvic stability. So. Um, I guess outside of special testing just like our general passive and active range of motion and seeing whereabouts we had pain or um, I guess less access to movement in those areas Um, and then from a special test perspective I do quite like running through things like straight leg raises just to A see what that movement looks like um, but B to see how they respond and whether that does provoke pain um, in the back there and it also I think is a good benchmark then um, to say so if he hadn't gone to see physio already um, to sort of make that decision then to potentially refer on and see where we can collaborate with other health practitioners yeah um, so I think that special tests are pretty quite valid in that sense um, to yeah see I guess where our role is and how that that changes yep. along the road. was there any others that you looked at that are maybe not um, specific to the lower back region but any hip or thoracic um, and you may not have, but um, is there any others that you see would be um, beneficial in this in this instance as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, we in the past we know that he's got quite limited access to thoracic extension. Okay. Um, yep. So we re looked a little bit at like rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't look at extension because that's something that we look at quite often, and I figured that it was going to yep. be pretty similar yep, to where it was sure. at. Um, but we looked at a Thomas test as well mm-hmm. again, just to give us some information about. Um, the hips and how that's relating to what we can address moving forward. Yeah, perfect. Um, I think it's important to note with that too is uh, the, the special tests alone probably aren't a good indication. Yeah. Um, as as I'm, I know that you alluded to um, off air, as we <laughs> talked about. Um, but yeah, a combination of using things like Thomas tests for the hip flexors or any kind of Fabers or f- anything like that around hip um, assessments. Yeah. Um, can give us an indication but it doesn't mean it's a pinpoint as to what's happening exactly. and particularly with like such a complex um, movement issue of lower back pain yeah we know that how this gentleman's presented and what tests you've done doesn't mean that exact the same thing is going to happen for another client um, if that was to occur in another client as well so yeah. important note and um, flagging this uh, during during this discussion here is that these special tests are great in terms of using them as a combination, um, but never as an indicative um, or, you know, we, I mean, we can't diagnose anyway, but right. any, never as like a diagnostic or indicative yeah. reason as to what is actually happening. Yeah, um, so. yeah indeed. Um, all right, so let's move on mm-hmm. to, you've got your information. Obviously, this gentleman's a little bit down in the dumps, a bit yeah. frustrated that he's probably going to be short of his goal. Yeah. Um, you've done some of those objective testing to assess the uh, the capacity that this gentleman has. Yeah. Let's move on to the first session of uh, actual exercise session that mm-hmm. um, he was attending with you. What did that look like? Yeah. Um, how did he present? Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is a gentleman that's gone from heavy load and lifting and um, peaking really well to yeah. now coming probably back down to some rehabilitative exercises. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what those exercises were first that you went through, and you mm-hmm. can be as specific as you want. Yeah. And then also, how was his approach to it as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, and exactly as you said, he 
sort of presented in the sense of, oh, like, I've got to do some, like, rehab now after spending, we've just gone, come off the back of doing 100 kilo squats, mm. and now I'm doing knee rocks kind of a thing. He was pretty frustrated <laughs> with that. Indeed. Um, and very similar to when I saw him initially, his entire personality was just really different to how it, yeah, it right. usually is. Yeah. Um, and so I think the biggest thing for me was to start off, again, validating how he's feeling, mm-hmm. um, discussing the fact that I can't put myself in his shoes. I don't know what it's like to experience what he's experiencing, but yeah. my role is to support him now. Like you said, manage his expectations to get him back to where we eventually want to be. And yeah. uh, so a lot of that was education, um, sort of as you've already alluded to in uh, some of our previous podcasts, what we've discussed from pain and what that means and how it's A, different for everyone, yeah. but B, there's also, it's complex and there's so much that impacts pain. Um, so like you said, things like stress, sleep, yep. um, what we've got going on at home from an emotional point of view. And so I actually spent quite a bit of time with him discussing that and the fact that what we're doing in here um, is just the first step. And what we need to do then is, yeah, acknowledge that we have to have to teach his body that it's okay to move again yep. um, so that we can get him back to where he was. Wonderful. And um, how, did, how did that kind of response go with him in terms of taking time to educate? Yeah. Was it a rewarding experience for yourself or was he not having a bar of it he just wanted to lift again <laughs> yeah. how, did, how did he respond to that um he took it really well in a sense that i think he appreciated the fact that we are human <laughs> like yeah. i think that's the thing i tried to get across to him like um and he yeah i think he was quite happy in the sense that um he actually also is a professor so i think that was also <laughs> useful yeah. so he generally actually um, understands pain science but um he yeah, I think he appreciated that, mm. and I think he walked away with some tools in terms yeah. of that. Yeah, fantastic. Is, is in the end of our journey. I yeah, guess, that's well. it. Yeah. That's it. And that is such a good tip that you've you've brought across there, Georgia. Is this a great example of someone who, like, I've seen him in the gym. I know he just wants <laughs> to come in and lift heavy, but he's smart with it. But yes, he wants he to he wants to really try and push himself and yeah. to to bring it right back to having to go through an education perspective. Um, Obviously, yes, there's some advantages you have. You've already uh, brought, uh, sorry, already built a really good rapport with this gentleman. Um, He does have a really good education and understanding of of pain science already, so you can probably buy in a little bit. So not saying that this approach is always gonna work for everyone, um, but it just does show that taking that time to um, validate, as you said, Mm -hmm. um, and explore a little bit more, reflect, yeah. provide information and calibrate is is such an important um, concept that you can apply in different ways for the clients that you see to, doesn't matter on what their their injury could be or whatever their condition might be it is still very valuable and coming it across as a way um, for that person to to take some tools home to understand there's a path forward and direction yeah um, as humans we all want direction we all want mm-hmm. kind of path a path forward or where we're heading um, and to do uh, what you've done in terms of um, being there and supporting the client and the way you've done it, that's that's confirming that for them. And so that's probably why that buy-in has, has occurred and yeah. knows that, yep, they will be back soon to um, to getting toward those lifts that they used to do. So yeah. um, incredibly important, the um, the education component that EPs can do. Because yeah. um, you also got to remember too, other professions they might actually go straight to diagnostics yeah, uh, and may not spend as much time in this. Yeah. Um, not saying that they don't, but they may not be able to have that time considering yeah. their patient loads. 
this is where I think we can really come in as a, as a holistic care and yeah. um, along that, um, that biopsychosocial model. I love my tangents, so I'll get back on course. <laughs> Let's get into the actual exercises. So yes. what was the first session looking like? Definitely. So um, it was sort of a little bit, we initially started off with just some sort of general mobility sort of stuff. So looking at mobility through the lumbar spine, thoracic spine, um, we did some sort of cobra variations. Um, we looked a little bit at hip mobility as well. So working through like some hip 1990s and seeing how we can um, assess this movement there and hopefully improve it. Um, we then looked at trying to get some, I suppose, disassociation between his rib cage and his pelvis. Um, Cause even prior to his injury, that's something that we had sort of noticed in our assessments in the sense that we were kind of moving as a unit. So adding in some cat camels and things like that. Yep, cat camels, great. cat camels, whatever you want to call yeah. them. <laughs> um, interchangeable. <laughs> interchangeable. Yep. Um, so that was quite good. He tolerated those really well, mm-hmm. um, despite that little bit of flexion. What was the kind of understanding with that, with that um, disassociation? What was your what were you thinking with, with that there? Yeah, that was How that helped? I suppose kind of what my thought process is, is that I guess as humans, we need access to a whole lot of movement. And yeah. if we're already in one position, then it's quite difficult for us to get further into that position. Okay. So if yep. we can look at sort of addressing, um, being able to do those things independently, um, it's going to allow us to access a lot more movement from our hips um, and our shoulders, I guess, without the pelvis and the rib cage being, I guess, too stable. Yeah. Stable yep. um, concepts. Okay, great. Sorry, press yes. on. Well, yes, yes. Um, outside of that, <laughs> Um, we slowly started introducing some like spinal rolls with yep. um, the thought process of eventually getting into some things like Jefferson curls because um, I suppose a lot of people um, sort of think that they need to be avoiding those sorts of movements mm. um, and initially when they're acutely pain provoking potentially yes but um, as we sort of saw improvement in how he was tolerating those things I found that it was an important thing to do because Again, where our goal is to show them that we can move and we can move confidently and safely. And it's just about doing it in the right way and in the right context. Um, So we ran through those initially. But then I also wanted to get him back into doing functional compound movements too to make sure that, again, he's got that buy-in and we're doing our Mm. regular session to an extent. Um, We did shy away from getting back into our deadlifts and squats just for those first few sessions just because he was quite hesitant to do them Um, and I didn't see the benefit in forcing him to do that when he wasn't in a position to be comfortable to Mm -hmm. Um, but doing that with an informed and I guess education point of view in that we're not doing it because we can't do it we're doing it because we're not doing it because it's not the right thing for us today yeah how we're feeling in this concept so it seemed um, like you had a quite yeah. a good, you, you painted quite a good pathway about returning towards those yeah. those movements that, um, and, and that is going to definitely build self confidence and um, in terms of being able to return to to that movement. Again, we've got to consider the fact that he is quite knowledgeable in this yes, area. Exactly. Um, so different approaches you might take for someone who is um, not as uh, I guess knowledgeable or exercise um, uh, has a great understanding of exercise. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the concepts that you're applying can be adjusted slightly to, yeah. to anyone really, Absolutely. can't they? Yeah. Fantastic. So it sounds like you have kind of gone through the first session and the, the basics of getting back into rehabilitation and explain the subjective part and going forward from there. Um, take us to the next step. What happened 
after that, so yeah, after those first initial exercises, how long did that last and then where did you go to from there? Yeah, definitely. So I would say that we probably spent uh, maybe like three or four weeks um, max working through that more, I guess, rehab standpoint. Um, yeah. Probably less than that actually, even maybe even just for like our first four sessions, he's seen me twice a week. Okay, um, right. And then from there... We looked at integrating more of our compound movements back into his routine, mm-hmm. um, and that was something that we pretty much saw an immediate improvement in how he was presenting. I guess from a um, like an attitude point of view, as soon as we started loading him back up again, um, we started quite basic like goblet squat sort of variations. Yeah, right. Right yeah. from the got right that confidence start back. to get that confidence back up under load. Before we go, before we go any further into the complex yeah. movements and under load, mm-hmm. what was your sort of criteria or your driving factor behind going from that rehabilitative low load yep. to then starting to apply some? What was there anything that you discussed with the client or movement patterns that you picked up on, anything that's bring to mind? Yeah, definitely. I think, I guess, sort of what we talked about earlier in terms of managing expectations and, I guess, setting, not necessarily boundaries, but setting points where we felt comfortable and confident to move forward. So, um, we largely related that to pain and recovery, I guess, in terms of educating him that a certain amount of discomfort and um, working through movement in that Mm. sense is okay and it's about teaching those structures again a that they don't have to be as protective because we know and our chronic pain podcast um, discuss this really well um, in the fact that we have things like Golgi tendon organs and receptors that are going to respond to changes in stretch and pressure and all of those sorts of things and we know that that's going to be a little bit hypersensitive for a period of time post-injury to reduce our risk of of, I guess danger Mm -hmm. Um, so educating him that that is a thing and that's something that um, we need to I guess find a fine line between learning it enough to promote adaption and show it that we can do it safely Mm -hmm. um, but also listening to him and listening to how he was feeling Um, a lot of it too was just looking at him and making sure that he wasn't um, as I guess stiff as he was initially so as soon as we started to see him look a bit more comfortable in that sense he was recovering well Mm. Um, we were working through I guess that like less than three out of ten pain through exercise Um, that's kind of how we we judged it so nothing super strict but yeah Yeah, I think there's a really good take home point there is um, particularly in your first year or two or or something that's an unfamiliar territory for you as a practitioner Back yourself on what you do know yes. in terms of being able to work with some pain because yeah. I definitely know when at the start of my career I thought pain equals problems, so don't yeah. do it. Yep. Now this is going a stretch back about 10 years here, Georgia, so <laughs> it's a little long, long time. It's, 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 a lot's changed since then. Um, but that was definitely something that I feel as well, even when we see students on prac placement, yep. there seems to be some who are still within that mindset of pain equals problem, it, it needs to, you need to fully go the other way. Yeah. But it's great that to hear that you went through that experience of saying, no, look, there is going to be some discomfort here. We need just a manageable amount yeah. to adapt um, and, and to evoke change yes. so that we can progress and, and, and back on that path towards uh, towards those goals that he had set. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Fantastic Definitely. to hear. Um, yes, yeah, so let's go on to the next next phase. So you're starting to do some, you were mentioning goblet squats. Is there anything else that you started to yes. progress so, back into? Um, I guess we sort of worked at it from a point of, getting some compound moves back in there, but also having our sort of accessory, I guess, exercises that looked at that lumbopelvic stability, um, making sure that we can 
we can utilize those muscles that are important in stabilizing um, our spine so that then when we applied that back into our compound movements that we had that again confidence because he knows that he's strong and that he can he can do that mm. um, from a compound lift point of view um, he was really quite hesitant to get back into doing things like deadlifts okay. yep. and sort of like I mentioned earlier I didn't think that it was going to be beneficial for us to make him do that mm. <laughs> early mm. on mm. so we started off with deadlift variation so we worked through RDLs initially yep. um, and I think that was a really good opportunity for us to get back into hinging and yeah. feeling comfortable with that flexion, if, yep. flexion movement exactly yep. which is one of those evoking yeah it used to be the evoking pain that's yep. exactly Perfect. it and from the way that his pelvis sits anatomically he's quite anteriorly biased and so we found too just finding some length in his hamstrings was actually something that he felt quite comfortable doing mm -hmm. um and so again just reaffirming those movements that he is confident in so he can build that strength back up and then eventually apply it to more of the movements that we how are doing now, um, yep. for example. Yeah, sorry, let's yes, move on to it. Yeah. Good segue, Georgia. <laughs> yes, segue phase three. <laughs> um, how, how long do you think it took to get to where phase three, I guess, as you call it? Yeah, um, I would say probably like two to three months, yep. I would say. like, mm -hmm. um, And we were relatively conservative in that sense. Like mm -hmm. He was quite... Um, like we've talked about the whole way through, quite quite nervous about getting back into it. So yep. okay. I wanted to make sure that we gave him time. Yep. We weren't that psychological into it. input part. Yeah, yep, for sure. he loves to tell me that his goal isn't to be a bro lifter. So <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to that the way nice. Nice. So, um, but yeah, bringing us to phase three, um, we're now working through. Um, we've been doing quite a lot of zercher squats. We've been doing some safety bar split squats, and we're hitting like 100, 110 kilos, which. That's Fantastic! Been an awesome confidence thing mm. for him. It's quite and a high load. It. It's yeah. quite a high load in a single leg stand. So mm. he's been mm. killing that, and he's been recovering really well. Like hasn't been having any issues um, early on in like back sort of that phase two period. There were a couple of instances where he would like do funny things at home. Like he jumped over a washing basket and like flared it up a little <laughs> bit, and like yeah. those kinds of random things. But now yeah. he's able to um, he a recovers really well. Mm. B he's back to running and impact isn't a problem for him anymore. So that was another thing that we gradually sort of reintroduced him to. So from a power absorption and power production point yeah, of view, yeah. So getting into, um, into that's that. something that we gradually yeah. got back into. Would, along that would you say that's sort of the last? piece of the puzzle that you started to reintegrate that impact loading power movements those kind of things is yeah. that what yep yeah, yeah i would say so definitely yep. um and particularly from again a confidence point of view i think once we got back into that um we saw a change in his capacity to yeah trust his body and be like cool i can go and do whatever i want to do because yep. yeah which has been really good wonderful the only other thing i had is a couple of questions when you went again from kind of back going into that phase three where we're starting to ramp up with our load and back to compound lifts um was there any different testing that you did at the time or is it just a readdressing of what you've mentioned before with the objective um, physical movements and then reassurance of the subjective that you discussed yeah i think i would say a little bit of both so um yeah so reassurance of subjective like mm -hmm. his mindset then to his mindset now is completely different which yeah. i think is fantastic and his capacity to just do things without thinking about it mm. I think is the biggest thing as well um, from an objective point of view we reassessed a lot of the things we did initially um, but now we're actually back onto the cycle of like um, I started off with 5RM testing so okay, that's yeah, kind of what we're great. working with now because yes, yeah. it's enough for us 
for him to a feel strong and capable and um yeah feel good when he's lifting but it's also we're not pushing those that i guess um confidence um point where he doesn't mm. feel like he trusts his body mm. um and i think it's just a good way for us to be then hitting those goals and keep progressing us and yep. adjusting yeah what is important to him at this time and, yeah. um and I guess the other the other question I had from that too was <clears throat> when you started to reintegrate these uh, heavier loads and compound movements, did you notice any hesitancy in his movement patterns initially? Um, and if so, how did you how did you address address that? Yeah, I would say definitely actually. Mm-hmm. Um, like in a lot of our initial initial movements, and again, I think knowing him so well and doing being with him for quite a number of months now, I found that actually less cueing was something that was more mm, yeah, useful okay. to us yep. so and that's going to be different for everybody um but i found that sometimes when i was cueing him i think that he was i suppose thinking about it a little bit too much which yep. in turn mm. was leading to movements that didn't look as efficient as they could mm-hmm. um so i found that just finding two or three cues is something that works for us and that's just made him i think a little bit less internal focused a little bit more just focused on um, getting the movement done, I'm there to ensure he's doing it well. Um, but I think that's yeah a strategy that's worked for him pretty well. Perfect, that's great because I do know like in my experience as well, it does have to be very individualised. And, and again, glad glad you brought that point up. Is in this case, queuing probably wasn't great, um, yeah. but for others, it's super effective super as well. So it comes down to it's the old saying of tailor it to your client. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, you often question what that means by tailoring something to a client and, and I think you've just explained it really well there Georgia is um, from what the concepts you learn at uni for queuing and everything yeah. it's not always going to be the real so life application yeah. you have to understand the person and what's going to work for them mm-hmm. um, particularly with chronic pain as we know it's very deep and complex uh, mm-hmm. and so some will respond really well <clears throat> to cues of let's say in this instance think it ribs the hips or feel that engagement through your core or yeah. tailbone tuck to make sure that's in a right position before mm-hmm. they go into a squat compared to someone like this client who may actually think oh that's making me think about it more 100%. and there is a known connection between our brains corresponding to that area yeah. of heightened risk as well so yeah, always find out what's going to be best suited to them and be really open and in that discussion with them initially. Um, And like you said a couple of times now, validate what their concerns are. If there's someone who is quite um, uh, taken back by anything related to back positioning, the different approach is to go about that in your clinical viewpoint of making sure it's safe, but using other things that are effective to get them um, progressing with their their goals and and, the, and that load as you've mentioned yeah um, but yeah if there's someone that really uh, really wants that feedback mm-hmm. it could be two simple cues that you use yeah. to then make sure that they're engaged I have a client exactly like that at the moment yeah. um, very similar situation to yours so he's, he's been long-term lower back and then he's back into doing some heavier loads now but he is someone who really responds and really wants to know yes. about his back position yeah and the way I see it is you can stand on one side of the ledger and say you know back position there's a bit of debate about it during deadlifts and squats at the moment but if it makes them feel confident and they feel like they're in a great position I don't see any harm in it yeah because to, to them if they feel like they can and 
this is a guy who wasn't doing squats and is now up to doing 100 kilos for, for mm-hmm. five RM. So it's a big progression for him. Yeah. Um, and he really responds to uh, how's my back position in that? Is, am I am I in the right positions? Is this right? Is this right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with that. Yeah. Um, whereas another one might be exactly yeah. opposite. <laughs> exactly. Doesn't want to know about it <laughs> as long as they're not <laughs> doing something you feel is going to be exacerbating a pre-existing injury mm-hmm. and it's safe and effective. Yeah. That's the way you can go with it. Exactly. Um, any final points to wrap up on there, George? Any take-home take-home points? Yeah. I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, and I think the thing that I value the most about our job is that at the end of the day, we're treating people. And I think it's important to reiterate what you said um, in a sense that everybody's going to be a little bit different. And I know that we say it a lot, but I think it really rings true. And being quite new in my um, career, I think is a thing that I have learned over the last year or so in that what we do learn at uni is obviously incredibly important but at the end of the day in real life things look really different and our job is to help people to move well and if that looks different to one person to the other then I think that's a really cool thing and it makes our job really exciting. Wonderful. Yeah. Excellent insight to that particular case Um, and take confidence from that all the listeners. Hope your voice gets better. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> we probably hear Georgia again on a podcast with a crystal clear It'll be voice. So clear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks very much and enjoy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Body Track Academy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you're not already in the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content.